0: You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast.
1: Hi, this is Bob, and this is a pretty unusual podcast. It's a conversation I had with a well-known philosopher, Daniel Dennett, a long, long time ago, like before I had a podcast feed to put it on. I videotaped the conversation more than 20 years ago at the dawn of Of the age of online video, and I put the video online on my website, Meaning of Life TV, and then later I put it on YouTube where it remains today. The taping was funded by a small Templeton Foundation grant, which also allowed me to interview another dozen or so thinkers around the turn of the millennium. And I recently realized that I might as well, every once in a while, feature one of these conversations in my podcast feed. So that's what I'm doing today. I think the conversation with Dennett was a very good one, in part because we disagree about so much, especially the subject of consciousness. And by the way, this conversation generated a little bit of controversy. The controversy was about the part of the conversation where we talk about whether natural selection could have some larger purpose. Like, you know, creating intelligence or something. I argued that there was at least some evidence of such a purpose, and I took Dennett to be, after some early resistance, accepting my argument that there's at least some such evidence. Maybe not much evidence, and certainly not enough to convince Dennett that there is such a purpose, but at least some evidence. So after I posted the conversation, I wrote something that characterized Dennett as accepting my argument, and he got upset and said he hadn't, in fact, done that. Now, I still think he did accept my argument at the time, even if he had second thoughts later. At least, I think he conceded the two points that together amount to acceptance of my argument. But see what you think. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I also hope That if you have the time and the inclination, you'll rate and or review the Non-Zero podcast at the Apple podcast site or on the podcast app of your choice. As more and more big, well-financed platforms have gotten into the podcasting business, it's gotten harder for independent podcasts like this one to get attention. And your endorsement can make that a little easier and would certainly be much appreciated. Okay, so here's the conversation with Dennett. I hope you like it. Okay, well, first of all, Dan, thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about Consciousness and Evolution and Free Will, each of which you've devoted uh, at least a book to. Um, I wanted to start off, though, with uh, this, this crusade you've gotten involved with lately on behalf of a group called Brights, hmm. nope.
0: interesting use of the word "crusade." <laughs> yes, <laughs>
1: well, a lot of people are doing it these days. <laughs> Sometimes it's ill advised. Yes, in this context, I think it's it's fairly harmless. But um, the the um, uh, brights in, the, in this in this context are not smart people. But it's a term that's now being used uh, to refer to people who reject supernatural explanations. That's right. And I guess loosely speaking, you could say they tend to be either agnostics or atheists. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and, and you, you've said, uh, quote, the time has come for us brights to come out of the closet, um, and, and to demand bright rights. Um, so for starters, uh, I'll let you come out of the closet as clearly as possible. Would you call yourself an atheist or an agnostic? Well, I don't
0: like the term atheist because it usually means somebody who's going around upbraiding people and trying to force them to listen to his arguments for why there is no God. I don't think there's a God, so I'm an atheist, but I don't, I don't make a deal of it. I think it, it, it's not that I passionately believe there is no God. It's that, of course, there isn't a God, but so what?
1: So, it, so the difference in your mind is not one of how confident you are that there's not a God. I mean, you're 100% sure there's not a God.
0: 100% am I 100% sure of anything. Okay. I'm as sure of it as I am of anything, yeah, I guess.
1: Okay. Uh, the But not 100%. I mean, the reason I right. ask is because that, that version of atheism has always struck me as, in some technical sense, logically indefensible, right? I mean...
0: You can't prove a negative. Right. I think it was Bertrand Russell once said that he couldn't prove that there was not a teapot orbiting Mars. Right. So he's a teapot agnostic. I'm a teapot agnostic with regard to God too, I suppose. I can't prove that God doesn't exist. Right.
1: And what what are you
0: For one thing, the reason I can't prove that is that apparently no two people mean the same thing by God. Right. And some people what they mean by God is nature. Well that exists. And they just they they worship nature.
1: Right. Mm,
0: So do I in a way. Does that mean I believe nature is God? Oh, who knows
1: yeah um, uh,
0: It's not supernatural
1: okay it's uh,
0: wonderful is all get out, but it isn't supernatural
1: okay and do you do you feel you're missing anything um i mean do do you wish do you wish you could believe in god is there no, no void in your life
0: no uh in fact i think I think that's actually a much more interesting question for most to ask most people, or actually, it's hard to ask them because they don't want to answer it. Uh, uh, I have a feeling that not that many people actually believe in God. Many people believe in belief in God. That is, they think it's a good thing. And they either, they try to believe in God, they hope they could believe in God, they wish they could believe in God, and they say they believe in God. They they go through all emotions. They They try very hard to be devout. And sometimes they succeed, and for periods of their lives, they actually do, in some sense, believe that there's a God. And they think they're the better for it. Um, Otherwise, they behave like people who probably don't believe in God. Very few people behave as if they really believe in God. A lot of people behave as if they believe they should believe in God.
1: How would you behave if you believed in God?
0: You would perhaps, I mean, and some people do this, uh be prepared to take what other people would call, call suicidal risks because you believe God is going to be there to save you uh you would be prepared to uh, uh uh give away everything that you own because God commanded you to do it and so forth
1: well yeah although there you're actually talking about a specific conception of God yeah, not right. any conception right. of God that would make you think you could take risks without fear of death no um, and, and and I guess that that's well, that's that's
0: one of the problems with belief in God is that it is so amorphous and undefined. It's not oh, like well, believing no, in helium defini- or believing. What I'm saying is there yeah. can be
1: different definitions. Oh, it yeah, may sure. also be amorphous, but I, but I'm just referring to the problem of there being sure different, many different definitions. Right. So. The, the, um, but along those lines, are you you're rejecting also the idea of kind of higher purpose of any kind? Uh, higher than our
0: purposes? Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. And um, on the question of evolution, I think um, you, I think you and I agree that evolution has, in a certain probabilistic sense, a kind of direction. That is to say, natural selection, once it acquired much momentum, was likely to produce um, diverse forms of life, increasingly yep. complex life, yep. and even properties like intelligence yes. were not at all unlikely, even if it, even if there was no predicting which lineage would lead to them, and so on. Yeah. So you do believe evolution was kind of headed somewhere. Um, yeah, headed somewhere. But not by
0: design. But not by design, and uh, uh, not guaranteed to get there in any finite stretch of time. Well, right. Yeah, bad um, things can happen. My my uh, uh, favorite image of this is, uh, if you think of... Uh, Going up being the sort of rise in complexity up to intelligence uh, and so forth. Yes, this is what we've seen. But of course, at any moment, it could just crash. Sure. But then it would go up again right. and crash and go up again, and we'd have a sort of sawtooth. But yes, that the trend is in some sense up, that there is a progress. In design, yes, absolutely.
1: Okay. And um, is it inconceivable to you that, I mean, you can imagine how someone could have a strictly materialist conception of natural selection as I do, believe in the directionality that we just discussed mm-hmm. as, as I do, um, and still think that it's uh, possible that there. Is some larger purpose unfolding, or that that natural selection actually was the product of design? I mean, you can imagine being basically a materialist and still thinking that it's subordinate, natural selection subordinate to some larger purpose we don't understand. There actually was a designer of natural selection in some sense. Uh,
0: uh, yes, I can I can imagine that in some loose sense. Okay, I don't know that that's a coherent idea, but. It's not obviously incoherent,
1: and you certainly don't buy it in any event.
0: I don't buy it. No.
1: Okay, um, let me suggest that there's actually ways you could appraise that hypothesis. In other words, sure. there could be evidence for it or evidence against it. Yeah. And, and let me there could. I le, agree. Le, okay, le, let me let me um, be clear that I'm using design in a very loose sense, but I, I think uh, I think you and I would agree that you can speak of individual organisms as being designed at least in quotes oh, yes. by a but not by an intelligent being by a process of natural Absolutely, selection. Absolutely, yes. And that process imbues them with uh, what you might call purpose or goals. Absolutely. It, 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 it but as act. real as purpose could ever be. You mean getting genes into the next generation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's the criterion of their design. Yeah. Now there's a uh, a famous uh, Episode in intellectual history that that was uh, that 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 inspired Richard Dawkins to call his book "The Blind Watchmaker," involving this long-dead uh, theologian William Paley. Mm-hmm. What happened was he argued. He said, "Bait, look, you can you can look at living forms and tell that there's a God. It's like if you if you're walking through a field, you pick up a watch. Obviously, it was designed to do something. That's it's yeah. functionally integrated and so on." He said. You look! Look at uh, animals. It's the same way. You can you can yep. tell there's a God. Now we I agree. agree. He was right that there had to be a process of design. Right. Absolutely right. Okay. Now, here's among the things that I think you would agree uh, are evidence in favor of that that hypothesis. If you watch uh, an animal um, grow from a, a single germ cell, there's a directional growth toward functional integration. Mm-hmm at higher and higher levels of organization? Mm,
0: um, well, maybe. I won't... I mean, I'm not quite sure I like that way of putting it, but but um, I think I see what you're getting
1: at. Okay. I mean, there is that, as a matter of fact. You do observe that in the life of an organism, and we actually well, know...
0: Well, you know... You have many more brain cells before you're born than you do shortly thereafter. There's a tremendous pruning. Is your brain more complex before you're born or after you're born? Development is not all in the direction of greater integration or great or greater complexity. In well, some regards, some regards it's well, much greater,
1: much greater functional differentiation. Much greater functional differentiation and, and, cor- and, and integration, and correspondingly functional integration of, of differentiated things. Yeah, sure. Um, and it gets bigger. And it develops a nervous system and so on. Yep. And these coherent functional things. Yep. Um, I would submit that if you step back and observed uh life on this planet in time lapse, including not just the, the evolution of human beings, but the cultural tech including technological evolution mm-hmm. that led to where mm-hmm. we are today, mm-hmm. um the the uh the process would look remarkably like that. Um and in fact you you um you yourself, in in your most recent book, I noticed, uh, freedom uh, freedom evolves. You um, say uh, there's a sense something like the planet is finally growing its own nervous system, us, mm-hmm. and it's true. I mean, it looks like that, right? Yeah. And, and there Absolutely. is a functionality yeah. about yeah. it, and you agree there's been a directionality about it. Yes. So it seems to me that to the extent that's the case, uh, th- that argues. Um, Maybe strongly, maybe tentatively, maybe barely. Who knows? But, but that is some evidence in favor of the, the hypothesis that natural selection, in some sense, is, is, is a product of design, in some sense, may have a purpose.
0: No, I don't think that's a good argument. I think, I think it's, that remains an open possibility, but I don't think that the evidence that we have before us gives us any particular reason to think that it's more likely than not since the the alternative hypothesis, namely that uh, natural selection happens because it can happen, and that's it. Not because it was supposed to happen and not because there's a purpose to it. It happens because it can, and since it can happen, all of the design accrual that is the mark of natural selection happens. It happens. That's all you can say.
1: Well, it certainly follows that it will happen if you have self-replicating material. Um, and finite resources yeah. and so on. Um, but, A, it didn't have to be the case that there was that on this planet. And in fact, it's still a little yeah. bit of a mystery how it came to be. B, all I'm really saying is, look, you can imagine natural selection uh, unfolding, um, you know, it, I mean, uh, Stephen Jay Gould could have been right. It, it, it could be directionless and aimless and and, and and 99 times out of 100, nothing intelligent evolves, nothing complex evolves. But I'm saying that, and, and if you compare that scenario with, with the alternative, which you and I both believe that there actually is a probabilistic direction toward complexity and intelligence,
0: I don't think that's inconsistent with with the claim you just made that ninety nine times out of hundred, nothing nothing intelligent evolves.
1: Well, that
0: I'm, that's probably true too.
1: Well, but you agreed that there is a probabilistic direction. I thought you said earlier, actually, it was. It was likely to lead to greater complexity and intelligence.
0: Well, no, over the long, long, long run—that's well, yes. what I mean. But I mean, well, in the same way that uh, most of the organisms that have ever lived on this planet died childless, and most of the lineages that have ever started off are extinct. Right. And so, much more than ninety-nine out of a hundred of the lineages that have ever uh, evolved have. Extinguish themselves without ever leading to intelligence. Well, so sure. intelligence well, is sure. is the is the rare thing. Yes, but it's still this. Give enough time, it's very sure. likely to be. Cleared. But I mean,
1: I think that works in, in in favor of the argument I'm making. I mean, first you said you said tons of organisms die childless, right? And yet you agree that they were designed by natural selection to uh, to create to offspring. Childless. In fact. Yes. the fact that some of them don't yeah. do it. Doesn't, yep. doesn't yep. rule out that possibility. Secondly, the fact that lineages go extinct. Well, that's true, um, in epigenesis as well. If you look at the, sure. the cells that, that you started out with, tons of them go extinct. And, and what goes on inside your body is in, is more like a process of natural selection oh, absolutely. than a lot of people realize. Yeah. And one thing it has in common with natural selection is that although certain properties are very likely, I was very likely to wind up with eyesight, eyeballs, um, it, it wasn't at all inevitable which of my stem cells would be the grandfather of the lineage that led to the eyesight. And that's also right. true of yeah. natural selection. So uh, I'm just saying that to the extent, I mean, I think we've agreed that, that, that observing, uh, what is it? Ontogeny, I guess is the term, or, you know, development of an mm-hmm. organism. Um, <clears throat> that does, it has its, its directional movement toward functionality by design. And that's in fact, the hallmark mm-hmm. of design.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Would you to the extent that natural that evolution on this planet turned out to have comparable properties, that would work at least to some extent in favor of the hypothesis of design mm. um. To some extent, to any extent.
0: Yeah, I guess. Much. Yeah.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. I'll declare yeah. victory and go on. Yeah. Now we can talk about something else, okay. uh, because after that, it yeah. at least becomes an empirical question and, and something you can argue. Sure. about. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we only have one case to study, whereas when you're looking at individual animals, you can you have yeah. many more. Um, your your book on free will, um, the the you're framing uh, the issue of free will in a very what will strike most people is an unusual way. People usually think of free will as opposed to determinism. Mm-hmm. Of course, by determinism, we mean the idea that basically the rest of... the future of this universe is inevitable because the universe is this mechanistic thing. It works according to rules. And in principle, if you understood the, everything about the state of the universe and everything about the rules of it, you could predict what happens tomorrow. And that includes people's brains. They're deterministic, and so free will is kind of an illusion because of determinism, because of the truth of determinism. That's the argument, traditional argument against free will. That's the
0: traditional argument, yes.
1: You're saying, I think you're saying that actually the two are compatible in some meaningful sense of both terms.
0: Absolutely compatible, yes. So I'm just a compatibilist. there have been compatibilists for hundreds of years, um, but I'm a little different from most of the earlier compatibilists, in that I want to deny flat out a premise that you started with, that you mentioned yourself just a minute ago. You said, the future is inevitable if determinism is true. Uh, first of all, I want to say that phrase, the future is inevitable, just doesn't mean anything. Um, we, we can't talk... The future the future is going to happen, uh, whatever it is, and that's true whether determinism is true or indeterminism is true. There's going to be a future. Now, in what sense could you talk about the future being inevitable? I don't know. What we have to talk about is particular events being inevitable, and or particular types of events. And in order to see what the word inevitable means, you have to take it apart. And oddly enough, although the word trips off the tongue of everybody who writes about free will and determinism, uh, hardly anybody's ever looked at it. But of course, what it means is unavoidable. I mean... Evitable, inevitable, avoidable, unavoidable. That's all the word means. But now, to avoid something, this is something that an agent does, an avoider. You don't,
1: so, mean, you don't mean a literary agent here?
0: No, I mean... I mean Although like a,
1: sometimes, they, they
0: sometimes they avoid. Sometimes they avoid. I didn't have literary agents in my... I had... Uh, or secret agents. Uh, although those are both agents. Uh, I mean agent in the broad sense of being uh, an actor that has some sensory capacities and some goals and that acts in the world to uh, accomplish its ends. Um, Now, are there agents that can avoid things? Sure. Tons of them. And in fact, the reason you have to look at free will from an evolutionary point of view is that's remarkable. That, That there are agents that avoid things is a remarkable fact. And, there's many more avoiders now than there used to be, and they're much better at avoiding than they used to be. And in fact, uh, it's as good as as a definition of intelligence to be uh, an expert avoider, to be able to foresee far into the future, to see things coming down the pike, and to take steps in a timely way to prevent those bad things from happen happening, and in order to foster things that you want to happen. Uh, uh, we don't have a, a good... Uh, parallel word, what would it be? Enhancer, uh, uh, probabilifier, um, uh, there's, there's no, uh, uh, we avoid harm, what, and we, and we try to get the good, um, but, uh, but there isn't a a single verb for, for what we do with regard to good things the way there is for avoiding Hmm. the bad. But now, that means that the whole concept of inevitability gets its meaning From the perspective in which, a perspective in which there are agents, in which there are agents that might want to avoid something. And it might be in their power or it might not. Now there's, if we start looking at particular worlds with particular agents and particular circumstances in them, we can now start saying, well, in this world, what things are avoidable? What kinds of things are avoidable by this agent? given its powers and its circumstances and the answer may be well if you throw a brick at it it can duck uh cuz uh, cuz there's enough light so it'll be able to see the brick and its nervous system is good enough and its reflexes are fast enough so that it's pretty good at avoiding bricks however a random lightning bolts is no good at avoiding those you know it's just doomed if if there's a lightning stroke coming up in its future it's it's toast. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you if you try, uh, uh, you know, to throw a spear at it or something, your chances of, of succeeding are, are, are next to nil because it's such a good spear avoider. Now, in order to be able to talk this way, in order to partition the universe into the things that are inevitable for that agent or evitable by that agent, uh, we have to have a way of talking about evitability and inevitability in a in a deterministic world. Now, since there's plenty of evitability in deterministic worlds that we can define, the implication, you know, determinism implies inevitability is just false. It's just a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so it's thousands of years old,
1: it's not been pointed out, it's just a mistake. So natural selection creates harm avoiders. It's uh,
0: natural selection is an explosion of evitability. We've had huge increases in the degrees of freedom. Mm -hmm. The powers that the products of evolution have, the accrued powers, uh, this is one of the most obvious facts in the physical world. Mm -hmm. It's this growth of evitability. Now, now if evitability... If you look at inevitability in that way, then you see that just the, the, the traditional philosopher's notion of inevitability just isn't in the same picture.
1: And, and you could say that we are future alterers, at least in the sense that had we not evolved the capacities we have for harm avoidance, yep. the future would have been otherwise. And,
0: but, and you have to be very careful when you talk about future alterers. Right.
1: Because what are you going to change the future from what to what? <laughs> since it hasn't happened. But you can talk about yeah. what it would have been had I not evolved that, my that's uh, right. yeah. whatever it is yeah. I yeah. use to avoid harm. Um But, of course, the reply you get from people is, yes, but you're still saying that given the fact that I have evolved these things, given the condition in which I wake up this morning mm. yeah. and the way my brain is inclined to use these things, yeah. the future is inevitable, and mm-hmm. my feeling that I, that, mm-hmm. that I need to... Uh, well, you, you certainly hear this as a reply. You certainly
0: I mean. do, but but... I'm going to say, what on earth do you mean my future is inevitable?
1: Well, but that again, if you knew that an omniscient being could predict what's going to happen today and there's no possibility that I will behave in a way that's going to change, that's going to, make, that's going to falsify that prediction. That's what people mean.
0: Well, first of all, that would be true, if I understand you right, in an indeterministic universe too.
1: Well, no, in that universe, the well, omniscient being guess, would, would take, would do the calculation and go, I think this is going to happen, but uh, whoa, caprice enters the picture magically.
0: No, the, om, the omniscient being is going to know the future.
1: Well, no, omniscient about the present, I mean, and the laws that govern the present. So okay? you mean a
0: Laplacian Yeah, d-
1: Laplacian, yeah, calculator. And then, but lo and behold, uh, t plus one after the prediction is made, caprice enters the picture from we know not yeah. where. That's the traditional conception of free will. And and, and people have to let that's go of a, that.
0: That's a traditional conception of free will. Right. And what I'm arguing is that it's uh, it's gratuitous. It, it does not... The motivation people have imagined for it is simply mistaken. Allowing for quantum indeterminacy, or shall we call it Laplacian indeterminacy, does not give... You any more powers, any more freedom, any more avoidability, any more evitability than you have in a deterministic world. It's just an illusion to think that it does.
1: Okay. You say in the book that, and this is maybe one example, but uh, that uh, free will lacks the tra- your conception of the kind of free will that's viable uh, lacks some of the traditional properties mm-hmm. associated with free will. Have we yep. already covered all the traditional properties, or are there other things people are going to have to let go of? Um,
0: I, I'll let other people make that calculation. I've tried. I mean, what, what I claim is that all the varieties of free will that are worth wanting, we can have in a deterministic world. That the I can define varieties of free will that are incompatible with determinism, but they're pointless. That they, they don't. They don't give you anything that matters. They don't give you. They they aren't needed for moral responsibility. They aren't needed to give your life. Meaning, they they are completely gratuitous. Uh, they're sort of bizarre metaphysical conceits. They don't pull their weight. You don't need them. Who cares? Yeah.
1: I mean, I have to admit, I've never been able to clearly conceive a free will, even though it feels like I have it. Uh, but yeah. but if you try to draw a graph of it, you'll run into trouble. I mean, I can imagine. Uh-huh. Determinism. I can imagine a determined system. I can kind of imagine a random one, although that's actually harder than it seems. Um, but but free will is is a slightly fuzzy concept. Um, on the issue of quantum physics, though, I I, uh, I wanted to raise it like a, a kind of a a, a second um, uh, dimension of quantum physics that that might that might enter the picture. I, I, as I understand um, what you're saying about quantum physics and free will, is is you're kind of saying. I mean, first we should say that according to quantum physics, there, there is such a thing as truly, truly. indeterminate. Yep. Uh, at the quantum level, very microscopic level, things happen that you could not in principle predict, even if you had all the information in the physical universe. That's right. Uh, as, as Richard Feynman put it, nature herself does not know what she is going to do next. Yep. At the quantum level. And some people have tried to use that to bring free will into the picture because mm-hmm. it is anti-deterministic. I think I agree with you that, look, lots of random fluctuations, even in the brain, if they're truly random, don't amount to what people usually mean by free will.
0: Good. So we don't need randomness, or at least randomness can't give us free will.
1: If it's true randomness, you would think not. On the other hand, I would say one thing about quantum physics is um, you can't really know if random is the right word if you don't know what's causing the thing. I mean, Well,
0: no, but that's what random means in quantum physics. No hidden variables.
1: Uh well, no hidden variables in the physical universe, right? But yeah. but but um, let me put it another way. I mean, in, in the quantum world, events happen for which there is no cause in the physical universe. I mean,
0: right?
1: Which is kind of weird. But 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 let me bring up a, a different weird aspect of quantum physics that may bear on free will. Um, the uh, it's this business of the idea that the process of measurement or observation brings. Uh, quantum reality into definite existence. Okay, that, that this is one interpretive, we're already getting into yeah. an interpretive yeah, part of quantum say, physics, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, but Collapse
0: are, of the wave packet. Right, yes. there are
1: reputable physicists who, who say this and there are two different ways to put it. One is that uh, it's just that the, the quantum, uh, a quantum particle or whatever encounters a macroscopic measuring device and that alone causes it to assume finite form. But some serious physicists think no, you actually need a like a conscious being observing the measuring device to bring the thing into mm-hmm. uh, reality. Now, if uh, into fixed uh, finite reality, if they're right, that would seem to me to open up the possibility of free will in a different sense. I mean, what they're what they're saying is that there's something. You know we don't entirely understand about uh, sentient being. I mean,
0: yes, yes, I can see where you're going. Okay, and and uh, um, by by wedding two bits of magic together, you're going to say it's not magic by met letting consciousness be a sort of mysterious and magical property, and saying that qu- uh, uh, quantum uh, enlargement, in effect, depends on consciousness. Uh, you nicely tie together two, uh, two themes, and I think, uh, uh, they're both, uh, this is just magical thinking, and we, and there's no reason to believe, believe either side of it. Okay. That is, that is, <clears throat> it's important to your view, as you just put it, that there be something r- really perplexing and mysterious about About sentience, about consciousness, and uh, I, of course, uh, deny that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm okay. We've gotten to the part of the discussion where I'm afraid we (coughs) we have to talk about consciousness. I'm afraid so. I always prefer to avoid this because you can you can talk about it for a long time without making any progress. It's that kind of subject. But uh, since we do disagree about it, maybe we'll we'll generate heat if not light. Mm -hmm. Um, And. What you've just alluded to, uh, you just um, kind of called me a, a mysterian, uh, and in any event, you called me that in your last book. So, hmm. so, so it's an official, uh, yeah, yeah. it's an official allegation, yeah. which I actually uh, don't really deny. I mean, a mysterian in this context, uh, at least as I understand it, is somebody who believes that consciousness is really mysterious. Now, first of all, by consciousness, I, I think we both mean basically sentience subjective experience so if i say i feel pain that was the mm-hmm. feeling was part of consciousness i see the color blue that seeing the experience yeah. of seeing that and similarly if you say i think lizards feel pain then you're attributing consciousness to lizards okay yeah. um i do believe it's mysterious in a, in a couple of of senses there, there there are although i think science can tell us a lot about it um i think there are some fundamental questions about it that science may Uh, never answer. Um, you, uh, you think consciousness is more like just a puzzle. There are pieces to be worked out, details to be worked out, but we get the big picture. Now, let me, um, let me try to characterize your, what you mean by consciousness, and you stop me when I start getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think you know where that will be. Hmm. Um, the, the, uh, okay you believe that the consciousness is a brain state, or is the brain, or is the state of the brain. Uh, And you don't just mean consciousness can be explained in terms of the state of the brain. Um, I mean, I I believe that, or at least I assume that. I don't really know what to think about consciousness. But it's certainly plausible to me that Whenever I feel pain, you could point to the part of the brain that's causing that feeling. Whenever I see something, you could so that I could map my consciousness one to one onto my brain functioning. Okay, but that's not all. You mean when you say consciousness is the brain, you don't just mean consciousness is explicable in terms of the brain, right? You, you, um, uh, I mean, one one way you commonly hear this is another. Uh, you're not just saying that that. Well, let me stop there. Have, have I gotten have I gotten it right so far?
0: Um, actually, you've 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 put it in a slightly more extreme form than than I myself would. All, that is a, a that is a, a a a more simplified materialism than my own. Um, when I say that, um, uh, my favorite metaphor these days is the fame in the brain or cerebral celebrity theory. It's that is that what what consciousness is is the relative political influence or fame of structures in the brain that uh, win out in competition against rival structures for domination of the brain's activities in various ways. That's putting it uh, uh, very programmatically. But basically it's saying that in your head there's a sort of turmoil going on, the pandemonium, and there's many different contentful events Vying for king of the mountain, okay. vying for control. Okay, and the ones that win, and the, by default, something always wins uh, when you're when you're awake, and that's what you're conscious of. And it's not that when it wins, then consciousness happens, or it you know it kindles some further thing that's conscious. That's just what consciousness is. It's not as if an extra process has to happen. Winning, that's it and then the next one that wins, then it's conscious. So, for instance, a robot that instantiated this sort of competition in its brain would be conscious.
1: Um, Absolutely. Well, but we can build robots now that do these kinds of things, that have competition among theories about the world. Are you saying they're conscious? Um, they're, they have the right sort of
0: competitive structure but there isn't the complexity there. I suppose in a little way they're conscious, but, but, but not in a very interesting way. It's the right sort of thing. So yeah. there may
1: be conscious computers right now, according to your view. There, there, you say you suppose there no. are, so there probably are conscious computers.
0: In, in the sense that extremely rudimentary versions of the architecture that I say consciousness is, Exist. That's true.
1: Well, but but but, I mean, you're saying it's true. Then I mean, you're saying according to your conception of what consciousness is, there are now conscious machines in the world. Except
0: that I, when I talk about consciousness, first of all, I talk about human consciousness, and I think human consciousness is very different from all other animal consciousness, and the the level of complexity, just the just the informational.
1: Uh, right. breadth
0: of of the architecture uh, uh, of human consciousness is enormous. And a a toy model of that, mm-hmm. because it's a toy model, in a certain sense, isn't really an instantiation of consciousness. Mm-hmm. But if if it could be scaled up, the answer would be yes. If it could be scaled up, but yeah. It hasn't, then,
1: but it hasn't been scaled up. So no, it hasn't. So there aren't conscious right. computers. There aren't right now. You're sure? But there could be. Uh, th- this leads yeah, to... there really could be. Yes, sure. There may be.
0: Sure, in the future. Oh, see, I. I, I mean, I'm sure there aren't now because I know the state of robotics research and mm-hmm. I know the state of AI research. But and the, and some people are on the right track, and you know, give them give them enough money and time, and yeah, there will be okay. conscious robots.
1: Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't rule really yeah. out the possibility. And let me say yeah. that uh, you you're, this this idea of com- kind of competing, uh, you know, competition within the brain and the winner. Uh, is conscious. I, I would certainly uh, uh, agree that that could be the way that uh, consciousness is shaped. But I would say that's the way the brain generates consciousness, and I think you would object to that. Yeah, it's that
0: it, it, it's that last step yeah. where you have to turn on the right. magic projector and have this extra state created somewhere else. That's no, it's what not we created don't
1: somewhere else. It's created in the brain. Well, but 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 it's different from. I mean, yeah. let let me. Um,
0: See, that's, that's where you're asking for there to be an extra shine or something that just doesn't need to okay, exist. Okay, well,
1: uh, we should bring in another term to make clear what you're not. Uh, uh, the term is epiphenomenalist. An epiphenomenalist view of consciousness is that consciousness is generated by the brain, uh, so the brain influences consciousness, but consciousness does not in turn influence anything. the brain. So it's like anything. Doesn't anything. Anything. Mean- Right. right. It, it, and that
0: is one of the, I mean, to this day, I am flabbergasted that anybody takes this view seriously.
1: Right. That's not your view. And, it and certainly is And let isn't. me just go on. I mean, epiphenomenalism is like...
0: It's insane. So
1: consciousness is to the brain the way a shadow is to my no, hand as I move no, my No, no, no. No, that's what epiphenomenalism
0: ah, is. Ah, thank you. That's what people think epiphenomenalism is, and it's not. Your shadow is perfectly visible. You can rec- it, it has lots of effects well, okay, in the that, world. Well, that part breaks. Down. It has lots of effects in the world. There's a perfectly right. innocent I, I notion understand. of epiphenomenalism. I understand that, but
1: but as my hand moves along, the shadow does not in turn affect my hand. It's so it's I mean, see, it is a limited yes. analogy, but the point it is, is, consciousness a, it is, is, a limited is and very influenced by the brain, but does not in turn influence the brain. That is epiphenomenalism. Well, but and you are not an epiphenomenalist.
0: Right because, that's, because, right, right, because epiphenomenalism is exactly as absurd as the following view. Are you ready? Okay. Um, in every cylinder of every internal combustion engine, there are seven epiphenomenal gremlins. They're caused by the action of the cylinder. They cause nothing in turn. They are undetectable by any machine, by any test. There couldn't be a gremlinometer. Mm-hmm. They don't add to the horsepower. They don't add to the weight. They don't add to the mass. They are completely so what epiphenomenal.
1: You, what bothers you is that, that in this view, in the epiphenomenalist view, consciousness cannot be detected uh, by any scientific means. But by, by any means at all. Right. But you got to understand. Well, that, no, it's detectable by the person. No, 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 no. Yes, trust that's, me. That's no. That's that's
0: the mistake. Because if that were true, then you wouldn't be an epiphenomenalist. Because. If the fact that you're now telling me that you detect your consciousness is an effect of your detecting it, then your detecting it is an effect of the epiphenomenon, and well, that's ruled out by definition. Well, that's th- the now, trouble. now
1: you've gotten that's an interesting thing. That's the, thing the trouble that I've with epiphenomenalism, is
0: it's an that's, incoherent view. Well, okay,
1: okay, but it, but but here's the interesting thing. I've thought about this a lot lately. <laughs> that in the human species, I mean, even if you're an epiphenomenalist in in this sense, okay, you think. When pain, subjective pain, arose in a lizard or in a worm or whatever, okay, let's go back millions and millions of years in natural selection, subjective experience arose as an epiphenomenon, okay, Uh, and you can imagine that, right? You can imagine that a worm has an epiphenomenal consciousness. No, I can't. Why not? Because, because
0: I'll say it again slower, I guess, the... The very concept of epiphenomenalism, of effects that have no effects, is completely unmotivatable. Always, always, always. What does that mean? It means, you agree, I think, that the view that there are seven epiphenomenal gremlins in every cylinder is is a view that is not to be taken seriously,
1: right? Right. I, it doesn't seem likely to be true to me.
0: Well, compare it with the, that there's six epiphenomenal grammars, or three, Equally or seven. Equally implausible. Not just implausible. Right. It's defined in such a way that you could never
1: well, possibly
0: they, have any reason to but assert it's it.
1: Not, so it's not amenable to scientific analysis. No, no,
0: no. It's, it's worse than that. It's, it's, it's trivial in a certain way. There could be no motivation for asserting it.
1: If the engine said I've got gremlins, I'd start taking it seriously. And that's what happens uh, If the engine
0: said I've got gremlins, one thing you would know is it couldn't be saying this because it had gremlins because if there were gremlins <laughs> they wouldn't be causing it to say
1: it because that would be, no, a, that, see, would be a def- that, that would is, be a that would be a contradiction. Is my point. Your your critique of epiphenomenalism does become relevant when you have organisms talking about their consciousness. Yep. But tell me how it doesn't make sense in an earthworm or a lizard. I, I say, look, the lizard, okay, it, 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 it's, it sticks out its paw in, into a fire right. and it retracts the paw. Yep. Now, it feels pain at that moment. And I think the pain is an epiphenomenon because what's really happening functionally that gets it to retract mm. its paw is this physical information mm. goes up and down, blah, blah, blah it's feeling a pain is a kind of shadow of that now why could that uh, not uh, be the case don't don't get into grammars just tell me in the case of the lizard where is the logical contradiction there
0: well because we don't know what you mean by by it's feeling pain in addition to the events going on maybe well, you know it just is pain this. feels like uh, i assume, I assume a, a certain lizards
1: certain if if they feel pain and you you believe some non-human animals feel pain yeah. Feels something like it feels to us, okay? But, so, but, I mean, but that keep doesn't keep get us. we can't know. But, but n- you're, that doesn't get us to epiphenomenalism. It just
0: gets us to sensation.
1: Well, right. but and, talking and, about a sensation that I'm positing is an epiphenomenon.
0: Well, but that's what we don't know what that means yet.
1: We, we do know what epiphenomenon means. Well, it is well, caused by, but does not in turn influence.
0: Well, but let's then let's then note that if it doesn't influence anything. Right. Then it doesn't influence the lizard. Right. So it doesn't, for instance, cause the lizard to believe it has pain.
1: No, lizards don't think about that
0: kind no, of thing. No, and so in fact, the lizard is completely clueless with regard it it is, That's it is the, life the lizard, of a lizard. And the lizard the lizard's own mental state is precisely as if it didn't have a sensation of pain. No, its mental oh. state is not. Well, now you're then you're contradicting yourself.
1: No, its the, mental state is the consciousness. Of course its consciousness is influenced.
0: Oh, but now you're just helping yourself to dualism.
1: Well, epiphenomenalism is a kind of dualism. It's just well, not but interactionist. The, well, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, the causality <laughs> moves in one, adir, one direction well, with let, epiphenomenalism. Mm. I mean, where is the contradiction but, in the case of a lizard? It's true that once you get humans and humans consciousness does start influencing things, like it's the reason we're having this conversation. And that's an interesting fact. But if you go back earlier in evolutionary time, an epiphenomenalist view of consciousness has uh, yeah. is a coherent concept. And, and the fact that a consciousness mm. that's originally epiphenomenal might later have an effect is an, is an interesting fact with philosophical Well, I suppose
0: that. it's also a coherent concept that... Um, uh, that the pebbles on the beach feel they're, they're, they they sense the gravity. They they have this. I don't this know. I doubt they of, do.
1: But 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 the thing about you think consciousness that,
0: do you think that's that's a, a serious? I call hypothesis. that highly highly unlikely. But just but, highly but, but unlikely. You gotta,
1: but, but the whole thing about consciousness is, and, and this is where you know the, the thing about mm. consciousness. It's one of those questions where two people disagree. It isn't just they disagree. They don't even understand each other. And and this is where. This is a difference between you and people like me who have an alternative view. To us, an essential feature of consciousness is that no one other than the conscious being can ever verify the consciousness. If it's an def- inherently private state, and that's you- one reason science may never penetrate oh, right, right. it. Science studies publicly observable yeah. things.
0: If you define consciousness that way, then you get your conclusion in a single step, right? Science can't study it. But let me show you how I can define something the same way, too, which science can't study. And and you tell me how your view differs. Um, You know how um, naive Americans, they go to Europe and they ask how much something costs, and they're told so many euros. And they say, well, how much is that in real money? That is to say, in dollars. And they think, well, you know, dollars, there's a sense in which dollars have value in which Euros and you know Swiss francs and so forth don't really. I mean they have relative value relative to dollars, but dollars have intrinsic value. Now we say, no, no, dollars don't have intrinsic value. It's just the exchange for goods and services. It's not as if dollars have an intrinsic value that that yen or euros don't have. And they say, no, no, I define the vis of a dollar as its intrinsic value, and I submit that economic theory cannot ever explain the intrinsic value of a dollar. And they're right. By definition, the intrinsic value of a dollar is something which is forever outside the purview of of economics. The thing is, there's no reason to believe that dollars have intrinsic value. The fact that somebody in their gut has this deep-seated intuition that dollars have intrinsic value... Well, that's an interesting fact about them, but it's nothing that... Science has to maybe explain why they have that weird hunch. But they don't have to explain the intrinsic value of a dollar because there isn't any intrinsic value to a dollar. And similarly, I take on the burden of explaining why you have the intuition that you have that this is what consciousness is. And I think I can give a pretty good explanation of why it seems that way to you.
1: But it's, you're just wrong. No, I don't want to hear that. I want to I hear that. I know you I'm don't. <laughs> I mean, no, no, that's the dollar. I mean, the, the, um, you, you, but in you, any you, event, why, I mean, I mean, there is an explanation about dollars, but let's not get into that. And why some people are confused about dollars, the relevance of that to your claim that I'm confused about consciousness is something I'm not completely clear on. But let me, um, let me, let me just tell you some things that you've said about consciousness that strike me as getting at the difference in the way we look at it. Okay. Uh, you've written that a chess playing computer is, quote, manifestly not a conscious or self-conscious agent, unquote. How could you know for sure? I don't think they are conscious. I mean, I don't know. I doubt it. But, but how could you know for sure that there is, that, that, that a computer is not having an internal Subjective experience.
0: Well, because I have a view of consciousness as playing an important role, and I know everything that's playing an important role in that in that chess playing computer, and there's nothing
1: that's remotely like consciousness playing that role. What? Um, I mean, why it's not complicated enough, or it's um, doing information processing. Yeah, it's but, got but goals. It's but but it is not, for
0: instance. Uh, the ones that, that are now in existence. It's not um, laying down memories of its moves. Here's something it can't do. Let, I'll give you a very simple thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a joke line, a tagline. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. right? You've, you've heard mm-hmm. that line. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Rueful reflection of person who's just kind of a cropper in some way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I think that's actually a wonderful thing to be able to say and mean. If you can say and mean, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, that means that you can recall how mm-hmm. it seemed then and rec- recall how it seemed and you can compare it to what you know now. Now, that's a level of self-knowledge and reflection and knowledge of your own past and of your own past thinking that's really potent. It's, it's, it's the key to debugging. It's the key to improving. To self improvement sure. and it's functional. It's functional. That's that. a really big, important functionality. Right. plane computers don't have it.
1: Okay. Well, neither do lizards. If they, they did, yeah, then they would have. Then, the then I goodness. wouldn't be
0: confident that they weren't conscious. Okay.
1: Fine. Then they would have the experience of ruefulness, but and of but, being able to reflect on uh, their past. I mean, past lizards spot. presumably don't have ruefulness either. But but That's you right. agree that lizards may experience pain. So in one sense I and mean, in, in mean, one
0: sense no that is that is I think it's say I actually don't agree to any sort of categorical statement like that because I don't think you or I have figured out what we jointly mean by that I think, well, I think this is one of the problems that people have with consciousness is that they they point to they allude to supposed sensations and they think they know, what they mean—the famous phrase, "What is it like to be a right. bat?"
1: Thomas Nagel's phrase—and
0: I don't think I think, in spite of the popularity of that phrase, mm-hmm. it is—it's a wild card. It people don't know what they are agreeing to when they agree about the question that what we're going to talk about is what is it like to be a bat? Okay,
1: but leave aside the details of what it's like to be something. You agree that it is like something to be you, right? Yeah, and that means you're conscious. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that seems like a good working definition, and it leads me to to something else. You've written that that points to kind of this difference of worldview. You write, "quote Nagel claims that no amount of third person knowledge could tell us what it is like to be a bat," and I flatly deny that claim. Mm-hmm. Now, you you think that there is some amount of scientific study. Of bats and echolocation, and everything mm-hmm. else that could lead me to know exactly what it's like mm-hmm. to be a bat, yeah. to know it fully,
0: yeah, as much, well, fully. Um, well, Nagel, diminishing you see if you could diminishing returns.
1: About it? Okay, so you can never know exactly. You well, agree, you can never know exactly what it's like to be a bat. I never. You can never know exactly everything about a grain of sand. Well, in principle, That's the only, you could. In no, principle,
0: everything, everything, everything. Uh, from the you know everything about that grain of sand, from the Big Bang to the heat death of the universe. Oh, the whole history of it. That's in every
1: in principle. Yeah. Yes, you could follow the molecules. Uh,
0: um, okay, then in principle you could know everything it's like to be a bat.
1: But you realize why most people think you just couldn't. I, I, I mean, I mean.
0: I realize that many people think you just couldn't. But I think that's a, I think that's a shibboleth. I don't think that's, I think that's an but, intuition, but I mean the, which okay. is, which is, uh, honored by tradition, but has nothing much going for it.
1: But you agree that I can never know really what it's like to be damned in it.
0: No, right? I don't agree with that.
1: You think I can know fully, thoroughly, exactly what it's like to be you?
0: In principle, sure.
1: And what would that consist of me reading a lot of your descriptions of your... Well. Because I mean, if I, if, if there were some yeah. <laughs> machine that could magically Transport me into your frame of reference. So long as I felt like me looking at the world through your frame of reference, through your you know perceptual lenses, I I wouldn't know what it was like to be you. That would be like me, you know. I mean, then and that and that's why a lot of us think consciousness is this inherently private thing that is just not amenable to scientific analysis in the way that a grain of sand. The thing about a grain of sand, whatever. the extent to which we can know it, you and I can know it equally. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's not true of your consciousness.
0: Well, it's it's um, uh, it's circumstantially true that I know a lot more about what it's like to me, me than you do because I hang around with me all the time. And uh, I would go
1: further than that would say you uh, are. Well,
0: um, uh, no, in fact, is uh, uh, that that's not the point. The point is that uh, uh, somebody. Else, you know, my wife say, can know things about what it what it's like to be me that would never occur to me to reflect on, but she's right, I'm sure. And and uh if it's a horrible thought, if a team of observers they didn't just wire up my brain, but they hung around and asked me questions and watched and saw how I reacted to everything. And they were to study me much more intensively than I could ever study myself. They'd know more about what it's like to be me than I did. They could write. They could write a. They could. They could write a, a better uh, encyclopedia of what it's like to be Dan Dennett than I could. Well, and they'd be getting at the innermost me. Now, well, they can Now, decide. the idea, the idea that you just can't do that. Hmm. Well, so people say, but I'm not. I just don't believe it.
1: Now they can describe patterns in your behavior you're not aware of, even internal dynamics you're not aware of, but yeah. they can never know what it's like to be you the way you can know what it's like to be you. Says you. Yeah, um, but but
0: but I I don't I don't take that as an axiom. I don't take that as as a premise, and I think that that the fact that philosophers in the past have tended to do that. Is, is a, a fascinating fact, but it doesn't persuade me that they were right.
1: Let me, let me, this is a final, a final quote of yours that I'll try to, um, to throw in your face and, and um, defy you to justify. Having, so far I've failed uh, to get you to capitulate. And I don't, I don't think this is going to work either, to be perfectly honest. But, uh, this is, you're talking about Mysterians. Mm-hmm. Some romantics, the philosopher Owen Flanagan calls them the new Mysterians and as you subsequently said, I am kind of a mystery, have advanced the claim that there is an insurmountable barrier to the brain's understanding of its own organization. Mm -hmm. No, that's not what I believe. I believe I can understand my brain's physical organization completely, and I can understand your brain's physical organization completely in principle. Mm -hmm. I believe that consciousness is something more than the physical organization of the brain. And again, I'm not saying that the physical organization of the brain doesn't account completely mm. for subjective experience. I'm just saying subjective experience is not the same. And, and we've already kind of established oh, I, one. I, we can I, look at the organization I, 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 of your brain. Everyone I, can gather around and look at it. We yeah. would not know what it's like to be you after we've well, done that.
0: There's a passage in your book where you say um, that the, the more Dennett and others um, say that consciousness is just an event going on in the brain, the more I come to realize that what they're really saying is that consciousness doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, I, it's a footnote of, of my book. It's, it's a in, footnote. It's in Non-Zero. But, yeah. um, but it's, it's true that when I read quotes like the one I just read, where you, where you seem to equate knowing about the consciousness of a being with knowing the organization of its brain... Uh, that I, I do start suspecting that. And, and you say things like consciousness is, you've said things to me like consciousness is the brain, well, or consciousness is the state of the brain. Well, if consciousness is the state of the brain, why come up with another word for it? I mean, I, I think we can talk about the state of my, the engine of my car, and I don't, and given, and, and if you said, well, let's use the word consciousness to mean that, I'd say, what do we need with a new word? I mean, it's...
0: We reinvent words for states and powers all the time. Uh, fine talk, but if
1: you think you're not yeah, adding yeah. any meaning I see
0: oh well we're certainly we're adding meaning because it's it's the it's the functionality and the organization of all of those states that makes the difference and we can we can talk about which events you're conscious of and which you're not of course we can say what difference that makes we can talk about the 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 efficacy the functional roles that conscious events play that unconscious events don't there's a, a there's a lot of it's a very useful term. If you understand, if you don't define it in such a way that you, you whisk it off the stage of functionality altogether. Right,
1: but but when you say, talk about the, the roles consciousness plays, the things consciousness does, you believe that in all those cases, you could just substitute the workings of the brain and have the same statement, right? It's just like life.
0: I can talk about what life is is on the planet, what life enables on the planet, and what the difference is between being alive and dead. But in every case, I could get rid of the word alive and just talk in terms of the functioning of the metabolism of the cells and the, and the, and the unity of the, of the operations of, the, uh, of the, you know the coherence of the operations of self-preservation and so forth. And life isn't some other thing. It's not something over and above all those functional details. And I'm saying consciousness is just like life.
1: Well that's what I when I say it boils down to the question of whether you hmm. consider consciousness publicly observable or inherently private phenomena that's kind of what divides us on this and and you and a lot of people I mean well I, I think it's it, I mean, it's, it's this, not
0: normally publicly observable in 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 the same way that that uh, let's say that the metabolism of a person is. How, a lot of that's private too but 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 you can you can get out your your No but your you can in principle look at it yeah, yeah. you know
1: and that's and and you say you know there are lots of states of things that we give new words to yes but in all of those cases no one disputes that in principle it's publicly observable in yeah. this case tons of people dispute that consciousness is publicly observable well oh, all right and but, that's kind of the crux and and uh, it's why um as is happening here people who disagree fail to persuade each other. They just have a yeah. fundamentally yeah. different, it's almost at an intuitive level. So, um, so you want to call it a truce? Uh, Probably
0: or, we should call it a truth. talk about something else. Something yeah.
1: else. Um, do you, um, do you manage to be a good person? Um, I think I'm. In your In your, think I'm, in your objective you know, judgment, well, I mean, like w-
0: all the children in Lake Wobegon, I think I'm above average yeah. in, in morality. Well, yeah. well, congratulations! <laughs> above, above average for
1: for a bright or for a, or for
0: no a, for. Um, uh, 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 You're
1: about an. I don't. It.
0: I. I. Uh, you know. There's the things I've done that are wrong. I've got my little bits of guilty conscience, but I don't think I've done anything very, very bad. And I, I think I've done a lot of good.
1: I. I. I guess the question is. You, you don't see belief in God, or or even belief in in any kind of higher power, or even a belief in a transcendent foundation for morality. You don't. You don't see any of that. That's really necessary as far as as creating good behavior.
0: Let's talk about transcendent Uh and morality. Um, One of the things that we have evolved to discover on this planet is arithmetic. We didn't invent it. We didn't make it. We found it. Mm -hmm. It is eternal, a priori, true. It's, It's just great stuff. And it's true everywhere in the universe. It's true everywhere in any universe. There's only one arithmetic. Now, is that is that transcendent? I would say, yeah. That's I don't know for sure what you mean so by transcendent. It's kind of like a
1: Platonic thing that was It's sort out of there. yeah. it's a sort of Platonism, and, and we I mean, happened upon its truth.
0: We've we've discovered it, and it's true. Now, could there be a sort of similarly Platonic ethics? Could we find the the universal? Principles of good behavior for intelligent beings. I'm agnostic about that. I don't see why we couldn't. I don't see that that the parochialism of of our concerns uh, would necessarily stand in the way of. I mean, we can we can ask we can ask the same question about ethics that we ask about arithmetic. If we went to another planet, if if the search for intelligent life, extraterrestrial life that was intelligence. If this, if this paid off, um, if we discovered another civilization somewhere, you know, in the galaxy that was intelligent, what would that share with us? Well, it would certainly share arithmetic. Maybe not base 10 arithmetic. That's, that's anybody's mm-hmm. guess. Uh, it might be base 12 or base 16 or base 8. Who knows? Um, that's an accident, but it would still be arithmetic. Now we can say, and, would it share ethical principles with us? And I think, in some regards, yes, it would. I, now, does that make those principles transcendent? Yeah. It's not, it's not might makes right, and it's not, this is what our grandfathers did, so this is what we're going to do. It's not just historical accident. I think that there could be a truly universal basis for ethics.
1: You mean that to get to to a point where any species could pr- produce these great kind of collective products which technologies and things are, they would have to come up with rules of the road for for collaborative cooperative sure, interaction. Sure. Okay. And is that um, It's like it's like the evolution of cooperation. Right. Yeah. Very, very much yeah. and, and uh I mean you could almost say that it's it's like a I don't know. Um and uh, and and I talked about this with Steve Pinker a little too, who who um, who discusses it in um, I think one of his books. The the um I don't know if he used the phrase strange attractor, but it's kind of like it's kind of like a, a, a truth that's out there. It's an attractor, that, that yeah, yeah. Certain kinds of evolution are going to happen upon mm-hmm. when they get in the vicinity. Now, it's what I
0: call a good trick with a capital G, capital T in Darwin's dangerous idea. Right. There are these Good tricks of design, which are going to be discovered again and again and again, because they're simply they are the eternal good tricks. Arithmetic's one. Yeah. I think ethics now, is now another.
1: Now, now, what if, what if uh, somebody noted this by way of suggesting that that adds to the evidence that evolution had some purpose? If it naturally happens upon something that even you would agree is moral truth, okay? Natural selection produces is likely to produce a species that happens upon. Moral truth, doesn't that lend credence to the argument that maybe there was some point to the whole exercise? I don't think so. No, I was kind of thinking you might say that. <laughs> I don't no, know no.
0: If, it just happens, and we can explain why it happens.
1: Um, does uh, does death bother you? You 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 said that one definition of a of a bright this this uh, this emerging interest group to which you yeah. proudly belong um, is that they don't believe in life after death. Is yeah. that would you rather there were life after death?
0: No, I'd rather live to be a thousand. <laughs> but, but I, um, uh,
1: but then if you died at a thousand, what would be your preferences for an afterlife? No, um,
0: I think the concept of an afterlife is a is a very useful fantasy for handling the grief of small children and others, and I don't disparage it. I think it takes. It takes a very strong and brave person to to take on the task of comforting a, a child whose parent has just died, for instance. Um, and the consolation value of believing that mommy's up there watching you is is oh, boy, it's that's a that's a lifeboat in the storm if ever there was one. It is. So transparently useful at times like that right. that um, I dare say that is enough to explain its popularity as an idea uh, for our species for all time.
1: Yeah. The by the way, there is hope here. I'm gonna. Here's a quote from um, actually a book called Consciousness Explained, written by you. If what you are is the program that runs on your brain's computer, then you could, in principle, survive the death of your body as intact as a program can survive the destruction of a computer on which it was created and first run.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, my friend Marvin Minsky has uh, uh, invested, I think, a large part of his Japan prize in the uh, cryogenics contract of some sort so that his body or at least his brain can be. Can be kept in cold storage against some imagined future time when uh, when when he could be brought back to life so that he could enjoy the you know twenty fifth century science or something like that and i i I appreciate the motivation for this I suppose if I had had a few million to burn i might I might think of 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 whether I might consider whether I would do that. The technology right now is nowhere near uh, uh, and he knows that too uh it's not it's not in position now to to make that a very realistic uh mm. project. So I think that it is just as likely that you could uh store all the information in your body I can store it on a hard disk and then build another one sometime in the future. Uh, c- fixing just the parts that need fixing, and that would be a way of bringing you back to life.
1: Yeah, um, and as you may be alarmed to know, I don't know, but but an actual theologian um, that I interviewed, John Polkinghorne, used this very type of scenario to assert that it's possible uh-huh. to believe in an afterlife even now. In, in other words, granting that the physical body dies, but he's yeah. saying if the essence of the self is a configuration of information,
0: yeah. then for all we know... You right know, there's a that, non-supernatural way you can believe in the afterlife. Uh, that's the path to immortality if that's what you really want.
1: Oh, I definitely want it. Um, well,
0: I think the technology is going to be too late for you and me that, that's, but but um, that's what I fear. but uh, I was thinking, if teleportation is possible at all, then then then, as it were, eternal life is, yeah. is possible for the same reason. After all, the reason we die is that our parts break. Yeah.
1: Well, if you get any insider information on this technology, you will drop me an email,
0: won't you? Well, I don't know. You know, There may only be room for one or two of us in the, in no, the machine. No, information is actually very yeah, cheap to replicate. Yeah, yeah, right? but, but, uh, uh, but it's extracting the information from the body. That's well, the hard part.
1: Yeah, well, I'll enjoy it then. Um, I guess we've covered enough. We've gotten... Uh, I've gotten all the way to death. And if that's not a natural place to stop, I don't know what is. Mm. Um, Thanks a lot. This has been fun.
0: It has been fun. Yeah. It's uh, uh, always a delight to see how you... uh,
1: Defend indefensible
0: positions. How you defend indefensible positions. Well, what's interesting is that you and I, are we we agree about so much. It's true. Uh, And then I see, by my lights, I see you going along just... Beautifully, and then suddenly you veer off to the side and think, wait a minute, where where did that swerve come from? Must be free will.
1: There's no accounting for human behavior, as, (laughs) as we know. Well, thanks a lot.
0: Okay, great.